Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Recorded live. A-U-N. American Underground Network. The primary reason why the individual citizens of a country create a political structure is a subconscious wish or desire to perpetuate their own dependency relationship of childhood. Simply put, they want a human God to eliminate all risk from their life, pat them on the head, kiss their bruises, put a chicken on every dinner table, clothe their bodies, tuck them into bed at night, and tell them that everything will be all right when they wake up in the morning. This public demand is incredible, so the human god, the politician, meets incredibility with incredibility by promising the world and delivering nothing. So who is the bigger liar, the public or the godfather? All revolutions have been led by young people. If you just think of the TV images of whether it's Tiananmen Square or whether it's the uh, revolts in Central America or Europe, it's the young people, it's the college people who are more principled and not locked in and they're not embedded with the government. They are the ones who are concerned about the future because the future is theirs. My research has shown at this point that the future laid out for us may be just about impossible to change. I do not agree with the means by which the powerful few have chosen for us to reach the end. I do not agree that the end is where we should end at all. But unless we can wake the people from their sleep, nothing short of civil war will stop the planned outcome. It's the National Collective Consciousness Show with Dee Dee Farrell in Portland, Oregon, Jim Condit Jr. in Cincinnati, Ohio, Steve Harris in Charlotte, North Carolina. Now, live from Evanston, Illinois, your host, Fred Smart. Hey, thanks, everyone. It's been over a month since I've been on the call because I couldn't make those two calls in December due to conflicts with my son's um, football banquets and football uh, teams and everything else. But uh, we, we, we had a nice end of the year. Happy New Year, everyone. Hope everyone had a great Christmas and, and the holiday season. Uh, I can't believe it's another year. We've been doing this call. Uh, 430 shows. This is the 430th show. Started this call in 2007, May, and it connects us all back to early 2006 when we all got together in the very beginning to get behind Aaron Russo's movie. It was because of We the People Foundation and the work of Bob Schultz that uh, ultimately we all came into this river of, of getting to know each other. It uh, The tributaries and the streams and rivulets, the waters of freedom flow down to one central uh, foundation. Uh, it's occupied by every individual that's concerned for the future of not only their family, 
but their state and their country. And Bob Schultz has been a, a pioneer in this regard, uh, lighting the light of liberty before us, uh, reactivating uh, many of the uh, essential elements that is required by a people to keep the government within the boundaries of the law. And uh, focusing on the First Amendment, the right to petition has been the primary focus of We the People Foundation. It's still an ongoing project, and Bob is uh, on the call tonight to give us an update and uh, tell us about, uh, again, it goes back to the need to organize at the local level and then branching that out all across the country. This vision is still out there, and Bob is still doing great work. Bob, thank you, and happy birthday. Uh, excuse me, happy new year. <laughs> we missed we miss your birthday, Bob. I'm sorry, I was thinking. I have had a birthday since the last yeah, time. Yeah, 70, uh, 76 trombones, if you're 76. Right. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, happy uh, new year to everybody. And it's so good to and and and, and please uh, a, a big hug for Judy and and uh, anyone there that's been helping you since we were last on the call. Uh, uh, we really appreciate uh, all of the support behind you. Well, Judy's right here. Judy, say hi, everyone. Hello, everyone, and happy New Year. <laughs> happy New Year, Judy. Thank you again. Okay, so uh, unless someone has. A particular issue they'd like to talk about, um, I guess what I'll do is, uh, I don't know, maybe just start talking and bring people up to date. We've been probably the busiest uh, that I've ever been. I think I can safely say that uh, with great confidence, that uh, busiest I've ever been uh, since I started this work of holding government accountable to the rule of law some 36 or 7 years ago. Um, I think we discussed last time that here in New York we've decided to really focus here uh, on New York and uh, to use uh, our experiences here as uh, a template uh, for other states to follow. So a few years ago, we have set up We the People of New York as uh, an unofficial affiliate of the national organization, We the People Congress, and a very uh, comprehensive, with a lot of specificity, a uh, articles of incorporation, which we encourage people to look at and uh, and uh, take as a first step in organizing folks in in their states, uh, use the extent that uh, it makes sense to you, uh, use our articles of incorporation, Connecticut has and Maine has and Kansas has. Um, we've also uh, adopted bylaws to govern the uh, activities or behavior of our Board of Directors. Uh, our Board of Directors has expanded very significantly. Uh, we reached out to the leaders of all of these different organizations around the state that are, you know, hammering away at, at trying to uh, confront uh, alleged governmental wrongdoing, unconstitutional behavior by our 
local and state government in one way or another. So leaders of different groups, whether it's the Center for Judicial Accountability, whether it's the Americans for Legal Reform, very active on Long Island, whether it's uh, an organization we call SCOPE. Uh, it's been around since 1965, and it's, uh, uh, their mission is to educate people about the Second Amendment and to uh, defend the Second Amendment. Uh, whether it's Tea Party groups or 912 groups, there's the Upstate Conservative Coalition. It's operating out of, for many years, out of uh, Saratoga Springs. And on, all across the state, we invited the leaders to come together, which we did a year ago this past November, so November 2014. And for two days, uh, everyone listened to these individual leaders, described their organizations and their missions and their projects. And at the end of the day, all but one agreed to become a member of the board of directors of We the People of New York. So picture uh, all these organizations with their uh, list of supporters and members and, and, the, and their expertise in their particular area coming together, uh, the idea being together we can do so much more, getting one another organization behind behind each other's uh, organization. So we did that and uh, adopted, as I say, bylaws uh, to control their, govern their behavior, the board of directors. And then during the year, we had, uh, we elected uh, officers and we set up committees, standing committees. And then this uh, November 7th, 2015, uh, if you Google Highlands Castle, uh, you'll see where we held our our first annual uh, board meeting. Uh, all of these leaders, all these board members came from uh, all across the state and on a one, one full day uh, we had our very productive meeting at a place called Highlands Castle which is a, believe it or not, if you Google it you'll see a castle but it's, but it's a two-bedroom home with a carriage house and a separate building for an office. Uh, the owner is a member of uh, We the People of New York. And he opened up his home and provided lunch um, to uh, our board. We had a very productive um, meeting. We uh, passed some 64 resolutions. Uh, we heard from you know, the program committee and their six resolutions, the civic education committee, uh, their report and their six uh, proposed resolutions. The fundraising committee and uh, gave their report and, uh, and talked about their eight resolutions, which we all voted on. The membership committee, their ten resolutions. The we have a constitution monitor training program uh, committee and the communications committee and. Judicial Watch Committee, and of course the chairman's proposed uh, resolutions. So it was a very, very productive day. We took very significant uh, steps forward. Um, one of the areas uh, we focused on was, you know, improving or 
increasing community awareness across the state, awareness about our organization and what we're um, all about, and uh, at the same time to attract people as members and supporters to the organization. And I can share with you that we uh, had a very successful uh, community event in many communities across the state. Here where I live, uh, we have a college. It's called the State University of New York uh, at, at SUNY Adirondacks. We're in the foothills of the Adirondack Mountains here. And uh, so on December 15th, which is, as you know, Bill of Rights Day, uh, we celebrated it. And uh, we, the people of New York, initiated a celebration in many other communities. I can tell you what we did here um, with a very fair amount of, uh, of publicity. It was a wonderful event. It was in the evening, got underway at 5 p.m., which means it's dark here now in, in December. But this was the 224th anniversary of the adoption enactment of the Bill of Rights. And uh, so after a uh, opening uh, prayer and a pledge, not just to the flag, uh, but the Constitution and the Bill of Rights for the, and the Republic for which they stand. Uh, and we had an opening message uh, gave people a very short but, but uh, cogent uh, mem uh, message on how the Bill of Rights came to be and why it came to be and when. And uh, then we had uh, people from the community uh, slowly read each of the Ten Amendments. So the managing editor, for instance, of our major newspaper here, daily newspaper, uh, a guy named Ken Tingley, uh, he chose, for obvious reasons, uh, uh, to read uh, the First Amendment. Uh, and then we had, uh, on the Second Amendment, uh, very appropriately, uh, a fellow named Sean Garvey. He, very prominent businessman in the area, owns a number of uh, car dealerships, Volkswagen, Kia, Hyundai, and whatnot, not just here, but in Vermont and way upstate. But I went to him because he is also the president of the what's called the Dunham's Bay Rod and Gun Club. And so he's obviously a big Second Amendment fellow. And um, so he, he read the Second Amendment. And, and as each person read the, their amendment, um, they then lit uh, a luminary bag. We had luminary bags set up, and they put a light in each of, you know, in a luminary bag. So by the time by the time they were all finished, there were ten luminary bags all lit, and that's the photo uh, that the post star uh, under the headline "Freedom Burns Bright." Uh, the the daily newspaper <clears throat> published oh, that. Oh wow! So we had uh, for the Third Amendment, uh, which is, you know. It's, it's the amendment that basically says that uh, the government uh, cannot make you let soldiers live in your house unless the country comes under attack and Congress specifically authorizes it. So we had a, a retired uh, Air Force lieutenant colonel read the Third Amendment, 
And uh, we had the sheriff in uniform, very spiffy sheriff's uniform, uh, read the Fourth Amendment. Um, and, uh, you know, obviously, for obvious reasons, the uh, Fourth Amendment basically prohibits the government com from coming into your home unless it has legal permission, you know, from a judge, as you know. And uh, then we had the uh, district attorney, the county the district attorney, Kate Hogan, read the Fifth Amendment and put her light in her luminary bag. And then we had a, uh, a defense attorney from a local uh, prominent law firm uh, read the Sixth Amendment. And we had a representative from uh, our congresswoman. Uh, obviously, she was in Washington doing the people's business there, but she had a representative read the Seventh Amendment. And uh, the Eighth Amendment is interesting. Um, you know, it says the government cannot make you cannot make people. I mean, I'm not quoting it word for word, but basically, what it says is the government cannot make people pay an unfairly high amount of money for bail while they wait for a, a judge or jury to hear their case, and the government cannot punish you for a crime in a, in a cruel and unusual way. I mean, that's basically the Eighth Amendment. So I needed a judge to read that, right? And so I got a state Supreme Court justice. Uh, to read the uh, the Eighth Amendment. And then the Ninth Amendment, uh, we had uh, Wendy Johnston, who teaches constitutional law uh, at the college, read the Ninth Amendment. And the president of the university read the Tenth Amendment. So it was a very successful, uh, well, well, 23 minutes, it was over. Um, and it was videotaped, a uh, professional videographer videotaped it, and uh, if anyone's interested in maybe planning something like that in your area for next December, and you want to see the, uh, you know, the format and the flow and the, and the agenda, the, the script, if you will, uh, just let me know and be happy to send it to you. But so the organization uh, got a little bit of, you know, publicity in doing this around the state and uh, increased the awareness of the general public. Um, we've, um, we've had other uh, community events that uh, uh, we've resolved uh, to undertake. For instance, our state constitution was adopted on April 20th in 1777, a long time, 10 years before the U.S. Constitution. And so we've decided, uh, given our interest in the state constitution and its importance, we'll be celebrating around the state, uh, bringing the uh, state constitution to the awareness of, of, uh, of people. Um, we, of course, are pursuing five lawsuits against the governor and the legislate leadership of the legislature for, for uh, doing things that you know, they're prohibited from doing, uh, prohibited by our, primarily our state constitution. You may know, uh, it's very significant news, we have a very high level of corruption uh, in uh, government in New York State. The head of the, uh, uh, our legislature has an assembly and a senate, <clears throat> and the 
very longtime leader of our assembly has been indicted and convicted. And the head of our Senate was indicted and convicted. And that makes, uh, I think it's 12 or 15 members of our state legislature that have been indicted and convicted in the past four, four years. It's, uh, it's a very serious problem of you know, political corruption in our state. Um, so we're, you know, we're making some progress in holding them accountable by confronting them in the courts. Um, but we're also making great strides in organizing, uh, in or organizing to, to hold government at every level, village, city, town, county, uh, hold them accountable, keep them within the boundaries that we the people you know, have drawn around drawn around their power. It's a, a great concern, of course, that uh, we see so many fundamental principles eroding. I'm sure you all recognize this. There are, there are there is the, the plain language of our state and federal constitutions. Yes, we can read what it says, but then there are principles, constitutional principles these are they're they're general and they're they're abstract normative propositions that are not themselves part of the text of our constitutions but no less important than those provisions that are part of the text constitutional principles are are uh, as you know, distinguishable from the rules and standards of constitutional law. They provide, uh, however, the, uh, guidance at a, at a higher level of abstraction and, and generality than do the hard-edged constitutional rules or more uh, open or textured constitutional standards. But there's eight principles you know that that we're fighting for you know in these in these lawsuits uh and in our work in general uh that I th think we should think about every now and then you don't see them written you know in the texts of our state or federal constitution but there's popular sovereignty what does that mean it's a principle what does it mean it's it means all power and all government uh, of right belong to and emanate from the people. You know, we we seem to be losing. <laughs> we really seem to be losing uh, uh, awareness of this principle. The government, at every level, federal and state, it just seems to be have grown such that that um, doing whatever. You know, they, they seem to, whatever they want to do is what it comes down to, regardless of the chains that we have put on them, you know, by the text of our Constitution. And they forget, you know, it's like the servants are taking over the house. I mean, I see it. I see it all the time. Uh, another principle, constitutional principle, of course, is republicanism, the rule of law and the right to vote 
for representatives. The rule of law, if we lose the rule of law, if it gets replaced by the rule of man or the uh-huh. rule of whim, then uh-huh. <laughs> the game's over. You know, and, and, and it is being, the rule of law is being replaced. And of course, there's federalism, you know, powers shared between the, the states and the, and the states united. There's the separation of powers. You don't find that written in our constitutions, you know, that there shall be a separation of powers, but obviously there is. It's a principle. Three independent and equal branches. And, but yet we see, I know I see it here in New York. I mean, this is what I do. I'm deeply involved in constitutional law and holding government officials accountable uh, to our, con- our state and federal constitutions. Very few people do this. I mean, very few. <laughs> I don't know of anyone else uh-huh. you know, that does this, especially on a regular basis, as we do. And, um, but I see the, the judiciary not as an equal independent uh, branch, but as a highly politicized and therefore, to that extent, corrupt uh-huh. I see the judiciary making decisions, collective decisions with other branches, another branch or two, collective decisions that are denying us, the people, you know, their, their liberties and their rights and their freedoms, uh, strengthening the oligarchy. You know, we're trans, transitioning, uh, becoming an oligarchy. And uh, but that so there you know we this this constitutional principle of separation of powers is uh, seems to be diminishing. And then free votes, you know, votes free from unconstitutional conditions or burdens or restraints. Uh, we have a vote coming up, probably the most it is without question the most important referendum that New Yorkers uh, will ever, ever experience. Comes up every 20 years. There'll be a question on our ballot again next year, after 20 years, here it comes again. Shall there be a convention to revise the Constitution and amend the same? This is the state Constitution. And, uh, And so if the people say yes, then a year later, uh, they get to elect the delegates to the convention. Uh-huh. And so, obviously, if those delegates are employees of the government, uh, employees of the lobbying organizations that are registered, you know, and therefore regulated by the Constitution, or employees of the political parties, then you cannot expect. Uh, those delegates to recommend uh, uh, revisions and amendments to the Constitution that are going to secure uh, the rights of the ordinary non-aligned citizens of the state. And, and that's what happened in 1967. They came up with a bunch of resolution, uh, uh, proposed revisions, um, Put them out to the voters. The voters said, "No, thank you." 
they were revisions that were going to strengthen the uh, the government, you know, at the people's expense. And so in 77 and 97, the people voted no because they did not want, you know, a convention that was going to be uh, where the delegates and those in government were going to sit as one. Um, and so they had to, they were faced with a catch-22. You know, if they, if, they, if they vote no, as they did, because they didn't want another convention controlled by the government. <laughs> They're regulated. Yep. I mean, we the people are the regulators, and the regulated uh, ran the 67 convention, and they didn't want that ever again. But yet when they vote no, they're giving up. I mean, they're, they're playing right into the hands of the government because then the, I don't know if you can follow this, but then the, those in the government control both pathways to constitutional change. The other way to amend our constitution is the legislature, two successive legislatures agree on a, on a proposed amendment and they put it before the voters. So that's the government's way of saying, hey, we need a change to our state constitution and here's what we recommend. So we provide, we the people through our, the language of our state constitution, we provide the government a pathway to change the constitution if they think it needs to be changed. But we also provide the people with a means of taking, we have the ultimate power, right? There's a means for the people to take their ultimate power into their own hands, once, at least once every 20 years, evaluate the performance of the government, and recommend changes, such as we really need a, something in our constitution that's going, to, that's going to get to the heart of all of this political corruption that we're experiencing. Um, but if the government sits there as delegates, then they control both pathways to constitutional change, and that violates the fundamental principle of popular sovereignty. They have taken over the House. And so we have what's one of our lawsuits is to ask the court to declare that that's the ultimate conflict of interest and to prevent them, you know, to say it's, they're prohibited from running and, and sitting there as delegates uh, to, the, to the convention. Um, so limited government, individual rights, these are all constitutional principles that are eroding. Uh, and, and, you know, the young people come up and, and they're raised in an atmosphere, in a society where they think that's the way it's always been. So, you know, we really do need to um, organize enough people in, in, the, in our states uh, to, to make a difference. And, and our goal here is 3%. Over the age of 18, we have 11.5 million people in the state. We can get 3% of them. A mere 3%, that's something like 462,000 people working together. That would make that group larger than the top three lobbying organizations in the, in the state put together. And, uh, and, you know, it's enough to, to uh, make a difference. But without, organ an organization is the key. Without that, um, you know, uh, civic education is great. The more civic education we have, the better. But civic education without action is for naught. 
just as civic action without education is for naught. You really need to strike that right balance. So we're uh, our civic. We're not preparing our young people for their civic lives. Uh, civic education uh, here in New York is woefully inadequate. It's it's like it's non-existent. I can say that it's just mm -hmm. non-existent. And uh, this, in spite of the fact that we have a law in, passed in 1947 you know, by our state legislature, signed by the governor. This is what it says. I'm, I'm quoting, all teachers of the state shall teach all children of the state in public and private schools from grade eight on, quote, the history, the meaning, the significance, and the effect of every provision of our state and federal constitutions at our Declaration of Independence. Wow. So in other words, by the time our kids finish 12th grade, they are to know not only that there's a state constitution, they don't know it, most people in the state don't know it, but they're supposed to know what's in it and what's between the covers of the U.S. Constitution and the Declaration of Independence and how those provisions got there, the history and the meaning and the significance and the, and the power of them, you know, so that as they go through their lives, they can make the connections between, they can connect the dots between what the government is doing and what they're prohibited from doing, mm -hmm. what they're not doing and what they're mandated to do. And they don't know. They just simply don't know. It's really terrible. It's so sad. And so... Um, we're giving it all we have here in New York uh, to change all that. We uh, I've had great success here with the two counties in the town where I live. Got them to pass our civic education resolution and our Common Core resolution, the two educational resolutions. And we've got other people around the state pushing their towns and counties and school districts. One of the resolutions we passed at our board meeting in November was to bring a lawsuit against uh, a school district here in this area that, that uh, you know, you petition, they've been properly petitioned, they've been made aware of the law, and they uh, refused. Uh, you know, they've, one, they've ignored the law. We could, we could uh, put the best construction on that and say, well, they didn't know. So we told them about this law and that we uh, expect them to... Uh, recognize the inadequacy of civic education in their school district and to uh, bring their concern uh, to the State Board of Regents, State Education Commissioner, and the legislature. And they refuse to do that. Uh, they refuse, now that they know what the law is, what they're required to, to teach, and they refuse to do it, uh, then I don't know what your definition is of tyranny, but that's my definition. If government first ignores the rule book uh, and then ignores people's petition for redress of grievances, then that's, that's my definition of, of tyranny. And uh, we can't turn away from it. We have to challenge it. We have to confront it in an intelligent, rational, professional, respectful, humble, nonviolent way. And it's either civic action or legal action. 
And so in this particular case, we chose legal action. Uh, but I, but I'm, uh, I, I predict there's going to be a whole lot more civic action coming here in New York and hopefully elsewhere uh, by people standing up uh, and defending uh, various provisions of their state and federal constitutions. Remember the old tyranny response team jacket, the with those navy blue windbreakers? Yep. Had, yep. Yep. Well, we just had delivered uh a whole batch of those here in New York. Uh <laughs> with be the people of New York, you know, on the uh over the where you the left chest where you where you hold your hand when you're pledging the allegiance, but on the back, big gold letters, tyranny response team. And so when we petition for redress of a, of a grievance relating to some violation of the rule of law from our Constitution and our statutes, and our petition is answered only with repeated injury, then, um, then we're going to, you know, respectfully uh, confront that, that tyranny. Um, so I can see, for instance, a lawsuit being served on the members of the school board by half a dozen or more uh, people with their TRT jackets on, just quietly, mm -hmm. just quietly serving them the lawsuits at, at their board meeting with the local newspaper taking a photograph from the back of the room showing, uh, and then, you know, an article that's talking about civic education and what the law is and why we're doing this, you know. And uh, so there's just, I don't know how familiar and how much attention uh, you folks on the call pay to your state constitutions, but they're key. People need to become much, I mean, there's so much attention focused on the national political scene, uh, the electoral process, the uh, presidential debates, foreign policy. Uh, that's all very, very important, obviously. Executive orders to control guns. and uh, I mean, this is all very important, no question. But under the radar, we have a lot of stuff going on in our, in our uh, local and state governments. That are that is way outside the box, and uh, people don't realize it. But you know, what's these state constitutions? By the words of their state constitutions, people not only structure their state government, but they regulate it. They're, the people aren't mentioned, at least here in New York. We're not mentioned in our state constitution, except that we adopt it. It's all about struct we structure the government and we regulate. We tell them what they can and cannot do and what they must mm -hmm. do. Mm -hmm. That's what our state constitutions are all about. And it's not taught. I mean, I lectured at the Albany Law School, and when the dean of the, when I finished, this is a whole auditorium full of law school students. And when I finished, the dean admitted to that, to that audience that as a graduate, 
you know, of the Albany Law School. She did not know there was a state constitution. Hmm. It's a, it's remarkable, and yet, you know, it's it's a set of principles to govern the government, and um, so. You know, we'd like to see a lot more emphasis on the state constitutions as well as the U.S. Constitution in uh, more of our states, and that's what we're doing here. And uh, you know, we're we're making progress in holding government accountable. We're moving forward, and uh, on organizational development, developing we the people of New York itself. Um, so. Any uh, comments? Any questions? No. Yes. Fred, um, you were mentioning the uh, not just the civic education, but for we the people of New York, you have an educational component to train or certify uh, members who are going to hold government officials accountable, etc. Right. Uh, is, is that does that come from the past We the People Foundation, or is it a newly uh, constituted and, and, and voted upon in this committee and this new new entity? Uh, what, what, what does that comprise currently? Well, uh, the plan, as you say, it, it was always part of the vision that we've had, right, is, mm-hmm. is yep. to have uh, people trained, certified to detect potential violations of the rule of law. And Uh we call these people constitution monitors. Uh So uh, there were 63 cities in our state. Uh So each city council, there'd be be at least one constitution monitor uh, following everything that city council, wherever, you know, that city, whatever they're doing. Uh Uh, We have 62 counties. So we have county boards of supervisors and county legislatures. Mm-hmm. There would be constitution monitors uh, following everything they're doing. Uh, we have the state legislature. There'd be a team of monitors following everything they're doing. And they would be familiar enough with the uh, content of our constitutions, and our statutes. Of course, there are hundreds of laws. Sure. Uh, but they would be trained uh, to, they'll know they're, they'll know that when they're monitoring, say, say they're monitoring a, uh, just to use, you know, a not so silly example, because it happens all the time. But let's just say, you know, these school districts, uh, this might seem like a small thing, but but really, when you add it up, it's not. Um, so let's say, uh, well, here's a couple of examples. These are real examples, lawsuits we've won. Okay. So here's this village. Uh, it was the village of Burdette. It's down by the Finger Lakes in New York, and there's a state highway that runs through the village. And on both sides of that state highway, it's two lanes. And on both sides of the highway, there are all these big trees, these full-grown trees, many of which were planted years and years ago, including one that was planted 
on the, the word that uh, Abraham Lincoln was assassinated, right? So, uh, faith uh, is going to uh, widen this, uh, rebuild this state highway, and they're going to make, in effect, four lanes, two driving lanes and, and two wide, shoulder, wide shoulders on both sides. Mm-hmm. Apart. But as you go down through this town, all the homes are these big Victorian homes, and they're set way back from the road. Well, who's going to be parking? You know, so, so we have a Constitution monitor uh you know he he he's looking at this and he's saying wait a minute what's going on here uh, how can they do this they're going to cut down all these trees and uh widen this road what who needs these wide parking lanes on both sides of the road because nobody parks there yeah what's going on here yeah. so he digs in and he finds out the following that the mayor, the mayor owns a gravel pit, and a lot of gravel is going to be purchased, you know, as part of the rebuilding this road. And then there are no stores in on this strip. There's a post office, but at one end of the village, there are some apartments where. Uh, extra parking would be helpful to the, you know to the developer and yeah. so uh so you know the state has a, a right you know to widen the road you might say right but the monitor knows that there's a law in this state called the state environmental quality review act and you have to do under the law of this state when you're going to have a major project like this, you have to look at all the alternatives, including the no-action alternative. What's wrong with just repaving the road, leaving the road the way it is? And you have to quantify the impacts and compare the totality of these impacts, and you have to choose the alternative that's going to have the least adverse impact on the environment, the economy taken into consideration. And so the monitor takes a look and says, well, wait a minute. So he goes over and he talks to the, you know, to the state uh, transportation guy, and he says, did you do a State Environmental Quality Review Act? You know, and the guy says, no. So the monitor says, okay, we have to go to court. We have to, you know, and so the, the, the lawsuit is being, you know, put together. We find out that the crew chief, you know, uh, Monday, this particular Monday is a holiday, and on Tuesday they're going to be cutting the trees down. On their, way of, their way of silencing the people. Just cut oh. the trees down, and that does away with the Environmental Quality Review Act, right? Get rid, of the, get rid of that issue. And so we have to hurry up. So we go to court first thing Tuesday morning, we get a judge off the bench, and um, we, we pass the word to the village, park a car under every tree. <laughs> get your people out and put a car there to keep them from cutting the tree down until you get the car out of there. 
and 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 we get a restraining order. You know, and wow. the word is faxed. You know, and they do the environmental review, and and they find out, you know, that that's the wrong thing to do. You know, and it puts mm-hmm. a stop. It puts a stop to this political corruption. That's a real. That actually happened. It, I wrote the lawsuit. I had all of these folks uh, from Burdett, and and they learned the value of monitoring and having at least a working knowledge of the law. Okay, they'd say, well this project has something to do with the environment. Well, what's the Environmental Quality Review Act say about this? And, you know, they'll have a working knowledge. Here's another example. So this goes on in every school district, right? Believe it or not, they buy a lot of wax. They wax the floors in all the school buildings, of course, right? And so in this particular case, the school district is buying all this wax. But they're not going through. It's not a. It's not a, a, a. They're not. They're violating the procurement rules. They're giving the order to some friend, rather mm-hmm. than putting it out for bid. Well, that's against the law. And so you know, we brought a lawsuit and we won the so-called wax case. Okay, it's a small thing, you know, but but they all add up, and and it's it's it, it, you know it's it's government doing whatever they want to do and, and uh, you know, violating the law, manufacturing a crisis, helping their friends, helping themselves and their friends, but at everybody else's expense. And I can give you many other examples, you know, of things we've done over the years. But so you need to train these people so that they're watching. And, and, you, and you, as part of your training, you take them through the law library, you show them, okay, here is um, New York jurisprudence, all these books about New York jurisprudence. You, all, you have, uh, in your law library, you have Illinois jurisprudence. You have Kansas jurisprudence. If you want to know what the law is in this state, in, in, in a particular state, go to jurisprudence or go to Nash, uh, U.S. jurisprudence. So uh, they'll get a, you know, they'll get a, They'll, they'll understand, hey, there's a general municipal law. There's a public officer's law. There's a state finance law. There are all these laws, yeah. you know, that implement. The only purpose of a law by the legislature is to implement a provision of the Constitution. Otherwise, they shouldn't be passing the law. You know, that's all legislatures do is they pass laws to implement provisions of the Constitution. That's the way it's designed to work. So every now and then they'll pass a law that conflicts with the Constitution, and we've got to be sharp enough to to attack that, you know. Um, I, I guess what I'm saying is it, it's it's our fault, not entirely, but it's the people's fault. We've always had the ultimate power in our society. Uh, I didn't know it. You know, I didn't know there was a state constitution until I was 51 years old. And when I found out, I used it, and I won a major case against the governor, this governor's father a precedent-setting case. On a simple matter, just read it. They said, well, wait a minute, it says right here, you can't do that, and he's doing it, okay, so we go to court. And, and how many people do this? Not too many. Constitutional lawyers are few and far between. There are a few members of the bar, you know, that stand up to the government. Mm-hmm. Few, too few. I mean, they'll have, you know, they'll, 
there'll be uh, attorneys in criminal and civil cases, lots of them, but how many of them take on the government for stepping outside the boundary that people have drawn around their, their uh, power? Not too many. And uh, so uh, one of the resolutions we passed at our meeting at the Highland Castle, uh, which is a castle overlooking Lake George, by the way, uh, got the best view of the lake, in my opinion. Uh, but one of the uh, resolutions was to prepare, uh, I forget the full language, of the. I've got the resolutions here in front of me, but it was to prepare a document, you know, on how to sue the government, you know, for pro se, without without attorneys, because that's what we do. And uh, it's not that hard. And boy, you can have a lot of fun proving a point. And th that's got to be the attitude. Let's have some fun proving a point. Not go in there, you know, with a real hard chip on your shoulder and the rest of that, but let's have fun proving a point. Um, so I think I told you, uh, may have told you when I was uh, one of my previous calls, Fred, that that uh, my grandson graduated. I love to tell the story, so I'm going to tell it again, even if you've heard it. I'm going to tell it again. No, go ahead. My grandson graduated high school, Lake George High School, uh, not this past June, but a year ago. He's in college now. And... Um, and so his class, it's, it's, his class was given an assignment. You have to spend 10 hours for a uh, working for a not-for-profit. So Brian called me. He says, Grandpa, I, you know, I said, yeah, Brian, I got something for you. Do you know what the rule of law is in New York State? And, of course, he goes, no. And I said, well, we're going to find out. I, we're going to train people to be constitution monitors in this state, and I want an initial document, you know, that's going to be used in this training program for the for, you know, some 1,200 monitors that we're going to have across the state. So I said, Brian, here's what I here's what we're going to do, you know, here's what I want you to do. First, give me just a page, no more than a page and a half, on how the system is designed to work, the relationship between the people and the government. The way it's designed to work, not the way it's working, but the way it's designed to work. So put that together and then give me a sentence or two or three on what is the Declaration of Independence and a link to it so I can click on it and read it. And then give me a couple of sentences on what is the U.S. Constitution and a link to it so I can read it. And then give me a couple of sentences on what is the New York State Constitution and a link to it, and then give me, uh, I said, do you know how many laws there are in New York State? He goes, no, and I said, Brian, there are hundreds, consolidated, unconsolidated laws, and I want a link to every one so I can read it. And I said, do you know how many cities there are? No, there are 63. Every city has a city charter. I said, Brian, I want a sentence or two. What is a city charter? It turns out to be, you know, it's like a little constitution. It's the people that live in that city that no word finds its way in or out of their city charter except by a vote of the people in that city, just as no word finds your way in and out of uh, its way in or out of a state constitution except by a vote of the people in the state. And uh, 
And so by the city charter, the people are actually structuring and regulating their city, telling them what they can and cannot do, you know, the, the city council and so forth. So I want to link to every one of the 63 city, uh, city charters. And then I said, Brian, how many towns are there in New York State? He goes, I don't know. I said, well, there's 932. And they all have town codes, you know, and I want, you know, a link to all of them. And he did it. So in one document, you know, there's, um, and it's up you know, on our website, one document. And so the, this will be used in the, tra being used in the training program. You know, we'll walk people through that. And uh, they'll click on it, and we'll go through it, you know, we'll go through the state constitution, the Declaration of Independence. Uh, you know, there's a, I had a, uh, when I was uh, seeking the uh, county boards and the town board to pass the the uh, civic education resolutions, uh, <laughs> you know, there's always, you always run into some opposition, right? So there's a couple of members on our county board of supervisors that are retired social studies teachers. And, you know, we really weren't uh, criticizing them by any means. You know, we're just calling civic education woefully inadequate in the state, not pointing a finger at anybody. It's nobody's fault, really. So, but they get, you know, they get a little uh, upset, <laughs> Say, wait a minute. You know, I taught the Constitution, and I talked the Declaration of Independence. Of course, they mentioned it, right? But they never got into it. So he was, you know, this one guy, retired teacher on the board. He was, uh, he was really going at it, you know, and he was defending his career. And I said, okay, well, I got a couple of questions. I want, I'd like you to answer if you can. He goes, all right. And I said, okay. So you're all familiar with the Declaration of Independence. I said, you know, that it starts out, you know, all men are created equal, they're endowed with certain unalienable rights, among these a life, liberty, you know, pursuit of happy. Oh, yeah, 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 I mentioned that. I, told, I said, okay, well, what does the next sentence say? The next sentence, and he, he couldn't, you know, he, he couldn't answer the question. I said, the next sentence is so important. We it's, hold all... The truth, yeah. Yeah, it says we institute government to secure these rights. That's the role of government wow. to secure these rights. No more, no less. I mean, that's the next sentence, and nobody mentions it. It's not taught. That's why we have government to secure our rights. No more, no less. And then I said to this guy, I said. And I was just being, you know, I was being very respectful because it's not his fault, you know. He's, so I said, so I held, I held up my copy of the Declaration of Independence, my copy of the the little pocket-sized book that has the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence in there. And I said, the Declaration of Independence in this little book here occupies five pages. Three of those pages are a listing of all of the grievances that the early Americans, the founding fathers, had against the government of their day. So this guy is shaking his head. Yeah, 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 there were grievances listed there. Yeah, of course he probably doesn't remember many, but I wasn't going to go test him on that. Mm -hmm. So I said, 
at the end of that list, that long list, you know, he, the king, is doing this and that, and they, the parliament, are doing this and that, I said there is what the constitutional scholars call the capstone grievance, the grievance that caps all the others, the grievance that all, more than all of the others put together caused the uh, early Americans to declare their independence. It's two short sentences. What was that capstone, what is that capstone grievance, I, I asked this fellow. Of course he couldn't, you know. I said, it says, and our repeated petitions have been answered only with repeated injury. A prince whose character is thus marked by every act which would define a tyrant is unfit to be the ruler of a free people. So in other words, the reason we separated was because our petitions were not answered. Mm-hmm. They were, we petitioned for redress of these grievances, you know, and our petitions were answered only with repeated injury. That's why we declared our independence. And so, you know, the point was made. The whole, you know, the Board of Supervisors, they saw that. They witnessed that. And, of course, they're all thinking, you know, I didn't know that either. You know, I didn't know that either. You know, and they passed, they passed the, uh, the, the uh, proper civic education resolution. You know, of it. so, uh, but, you know, you put the best construction on these things. You can't blame these guys. These guys came from, I don't know, whatever their background is. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and they were never taught these things. They were never taught the history, meaning, significance, and effect, you know, of every provision. You know, how, how, this, how this, we have provisions in our state constitution that says neither the state nor any municipality shall borrow money without voter approval. Wow! That's not being followed. Yeah. We have a provision in our state constitution that says <laughs> no public money or credit can be given or loaned to or in aid of any private... Uh, Undertaking, yet yet we have corporate welfare all over the state. In New York State, we're we're not only building stadiums for very wealthy sports organizations, profit, private for-profit organizations who pay their ballplayers millions of dollars every year to utilize to run around and you know play their games in these taxpayer-supported stadiums, in spite of the fact that we have a Prohibition, you know, no public money or credit can be given or loaned to or in aid of any private undertaking. Not only have we been building these stadiums for years, but believe it or not, our governor, you know, has a, a year ago, uh, with a lot of fanfare, went to Buffalo, and he announced this big Buffalo Billions initiative. It includes we are spending seven hundred and fifty million dollars to build a factory that will uh, be the Western Hemisphere's largest manufacturing uh, manufacturer of solar panels, 10,000 panels a day. Wow. And we, the taxpayers, own the factory. A company, the same company that is uh, behind the TELS, uh, what's that automobile, the TELS, TELS, Tesla? Uh, you mean... Tesla. General Motors? Yeah, that Tesla motor, you know. Sure. And and um, a very wealthy organization, a very wealthy guy. 
I mean, they're going to use our factory to make these panels. Now, now, of course, the governor doesn't want um, egg on his face, <laughs> right? He wants to make sure that this thing is going to work and that those panels are going to get sold. So what does he do? They hold a statewide competition. And the, same, and, and the winner of the competition is going to be the provider of solar panels to go on the roofs of schools, town halls, county buildings around the state. The, 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 there'll be a, 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 the state ran a competition. And the company that's going to use the factory, if, you, if the school gets their panels from that company, they get a state grant. Oh, my God. Whatever wow. happened to private enterprise? <clears throat> I mean, nothing's happening in the state unless the government is making it happen now. And yet we have a constitution that prohibits it. You see? I mean, I don't know what's going on in other states, but I think the way New York goes, I think the way the country's going to go. Um, but I think these kinds of things are happening, and they say, well, it's for jobs, it's for the economy, etc." You know, you can't give until you take. And the people they're taking it from all across the state are feeling it. You know, the ordinary non-aligned citizen taxpayer is feeling this big time. You know, uh, but with all these little and big, you know, violations of the rule of law. We are becoming an oligarchy. So, the hour's late. The hour's late. Hey, Bob, uh, I, the hour is late. Uh, we're getting into the uh, second hour, but uh, we want to kind of uh, keep this focused. And uh, you said if anyone has any comments or questions. Anybody out there have a comment or question for Bob Schultz? Yeah, I'm not talking about the hour tonight. I mean, uh, the hour, you know, is late for the country. <laughs> oh, I, I know, I know, I know. I'll be with you as long as you, you know. Yeah find it interesting. Yeah, so any, you know, are, how familiar are the people on this call with their state constitutions? Let me ask that. Before this call, I looked at the Illinois state constitution. Yep. It requires the question go on your ballot every 20 years. Do you want a state constitutional convention? When's the last time Illinois had one? The government doesn't want you to have one. You know, and they may not even tell you the questions on the ballot. You know, and yeah. even if you saw it on the ballot, most people wouldn't know what it meant. But when's the last time Illinois had a state constitutional convention? And do you need one now? You know, is everything hunky-dory in your state? It's a, it, This state's in terrible shape, Bob. It, it's, we don't, uh, I don't want to divert the attention on this call, but yeah, we're, we're, in, a, we're in a hell of a mess here in Illinois. Yeah, well, you've got no monopoly on on mess. <laughs> it's all over. But but you know these these constitutional conventions provide us as long as the government isn't sitting there as the delegates. Which Bob, yeah. Bob, the North Carolina state constitution says, "Life, liberty, the fruit of your labors and happiness." Yeah, that's beautiful, and and. Uh, it should Jefferson's word about property should have been left in there. Should never have been taken. His draft had property 
you know, life, liberty, and property. Um, that's, I mean, they they tie they 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 realize they wanted to tie everything to to um, to something concrete, and they tied it to property. And then, of course, your labor is your property. And that's another issue. I don't want to get into it tonight, but these un, this unapportioned tax on your labor is is uh, is prohibited by the Constitution. But that's for another day. Well, North Carolina also says that uh, it's in Section Nine. Um, that there should be frequent elections to uh, uh, for redress of grievance. There should be frequent elections. Yeah. Well, but it ne- never happens. And it's <laughs> yeah, and some of the constitutions say that the legislature shall meet frequently for that purpose to hear petitions for redress. People don't know this, but uh, from the time our constitution was adopted until about uh, eight, uh, eighteen. Uh, uh, 1836 or 1840, um, if you petitioned your congressman for redress of some grievance, that petition always went to a committee in Congress. Always. Unless it was totally frivolous or totally libelous, uh, it, it went to a committee. And every Monday, Congress dealt with petitions for redress of grievances. Wow. Wow. Try to get Didn't somebody's petition down there it, now. It, <laughs> Didn't they get so many uh, uh, that they kind of wiggled out of that thing around the time of the slavery? That so many petitions come in on. Yeah, well, they, that's exactly what? right, Betty. They were getting petitions. There was Southern congressmen pre- were prevailing. I mean, there was you know, Southern congressmen prevailed in Congress, and um, this whole business of of you know slavery was was you know not something they were ready to give up and. And so they prevailed, and they got a rule, a gag rule. It's called a gag rule, passed in Congress. Any any petitions from abolitionists will be will be permanently tabled. And it took John Quincy Adams eight years to get that that gag rule repealed, but the damage had been done. It was the first time government ever went on record saying they didn't have to respond to a petition for redress of grievances, and it, and it sort of has been downhill, and it became the forgotten right after a while. The actual um, word, wording of this one in Section 9, I just pulled it up. It's frequent elections for redress of grievances and for amending and strengthening the laws. Elections shall be held often. Right. Yeah. But it doesn't tell you. I, how would you learn the process for that? The process for amending the Constitution? No, for the redress of grievance, getting it that far for getting it as far as getting it uh, to an election uh, doesn't give any anything in here well you can petition for redress in a number of ways obviously uh, by going to the polls that's a form of petitioning you can you can vote the bad actors out right the, the, mm-hmm. uh, another way is you can go to court uh, another way is you could put your petition in writing and and uh, submit it, uh, and they're obligated to respond. Uh, there are five rights guaranteed by the First Amendment. The right of free worship, this is the order in which they're mentioned, worship, speech, press, the right to assemble, uh, as we're doing tonight, and the right to petition for redress of grievances. 
And the first four of those freedoms have been the subject matter numerous times uh, in, in courts right up to the Supreme Court. So this, the courts have weighed in, the Supreme Court has weighed in, and we have a pretty good idea of what those first four freedoms mean, a pretty good idea of our rights under those first four freedoms and government's obligations. But no court has ever declared the meaning, the rights of the people and the obligations of the government. They've never declared, the, the uh, they've never addressed that, the, the last 10 words of the First Amendment. So you have to, what, what, you, what you're supposed to do, what, what the judicial legal community is supposed to do when there's a provision in the Constitution that needs to be interpreted like the natural born citizenship provision in the Constitution. That's one that's in the news these days. Um, what you're supposed to do if, if the meaning of that, you know, because of time, uh, the meaning has been lost. Obviously, when it was put in there, people knew what it meant when they added it. But over time, you lose the meat. You know, it's not clear anymore. Okay. What is the right to petition government for redress of grievances? What okay, is Dan, I'm just reading this thing, and down it's, of course, that's Section 9, and this is Section 12. You'd huh? think it'd be Section 10, but this is Section 12. It says, right of assembly and petition. The people have right to assemble together to consult for their common good, to instruct their representatives and to apply to the General Assembly for redress of grievances. The yeah. secret political science societies are dangerous to the liberties of a free people and shall not be tolerated. Right. But it's you wouldn't think they would hear that in Section 10 right after the redress of grievance thing. But well, it's there. I, but it's interesting that the word instruct is there. That's a powerful word. When, when the... Um, when the First Amendment was being debated uh, and, and added to the Constitution, to the Bill of Rights, initially the draft was the right of the people to instruct the government, okay? And, and Madison, you know, sort of led the, uh, the, not so much the opposition, but I mean, he said, look, it, it won't be necessary to say instruct they will know they have an obligation to respond. It won't be necessary to you know, for the people to instruct them, to tell them what they must do. Uh, but it's enough that, you know, it, it, it's sufficient that they have the right to petition them and government is obligated to respond. And, and uh, so the word instruct was, was taken out of the First Amendment. But I see a number of state constitutions uh, give the, recognize the, the right of the people to instruct their government. Uh, it's a very powerful word. Um, and, and so the petition for redress, when, when, when the language, like in the First Amendment, loses its meaning just over time, people you know, don't really know and the courts haven't you know, addressed it and all that. Um, so what you're supposed to, what the judicial community legal community, what we, what all of us, what you do in that event is you take a look at the way the world was before those words were added, and then you look at who said what while they were adding the words, and then what was the world like after those words were added. And so uh, you do that analysis as 
we have done here, and as uh, Professor Gregory Marks, law school professor at Rutgers, uh, he wrote a law review article. It's a very, very thorough historical review of the right to petition going all the way back to the Magna Carta and Akhil Lamar. Um, they've done this work. And what you find out is that any branch is petitionable, any issue is petitionable, and uh, you know you petition, you you, and the government is obligated to respond. You may not get what you're seeking, but at least you get an answer, and you get, then you go from there. You know, and and uh, but they're obligated to respond. And what's happened though is this right has become the forgotten right, and. Um, uh, Think of what um, we petitioned, Fred, Betty, you guys will remember this. We petitioned in November of 2002. We prepared four petitions for redress of grievances. The war, one had to do with the Iraq resolution. One had to do with the uh, constitutionality of the Federal Reserve System. One had to do with the uh, constitutionality of the USA Patriot Act, and the other had to do with the constitutionality of the direct unapportioned tax on labor. So here we were, five months before we went into Iraq, and uh, the White House had sent over the Iraq resolution to Congress. And the way it read was, if Congress passed it, it would authorize the. It would say to. It would have Congress say to the president, "Hey, it's your decision. We go in there and win. It's your decision." But that's not what the. We never gave the Congress the authority to transfer that power. We gave them to to the other branch. We never did that. So they didn't have the authority to do that. And so our petition was basically uh, a whole series of questions we wanted answered. Would basically to answer those would be to admit. You know that uh, that the Iraq resolution was uh, unconstitutional, um, but they ignored that petition. Think had they think had we been back in the, say in, in the early 1800s, and uh, we petitioned, and that petition went to a committee, and on Monday, you know, they dealt with the in Congress. They they there would have been in the House and the Senate, uh, there would have been hearings and, and all the tough second and third order questions would have been asked, you know, about weapons of mass destruction and Saddam Hussein tied to Al-Qaeda and all that other stuff. It all turned out to be malarkey, baloney. And so uh, it's too bad, but they didn't, they didn't answer. We we submitted that petition to every single member of the House and the Senate in their home districts and in their offices in Washington, as well as the President, the Attorney General, and so forth. And then, of course, that's it's it's November of, of 2002. It's November 14th of 2002. And uh, we had a petition for redress asking all the tough questions about the Federal Reserve System. There's no authority for it in the Constitution. But yes, there's a, they passed the Federal Reserve Act of 1913, you know, during the holidays. <laughs> but there's no authority for it. And we asked all those tough questions. This is 2002. And so uh, 
would there have been a, a fiscal collapse and would there have been um, a $700 billion bailout by the Federal Reserve uh, in 2007 and eight? I don't think so. You know, that's the way the system is designed to work. That's the power of the petition for redress and, and the USA Patriot Act. It was on the shelf, you know, the days following 9-11 was pulled off the shelf and passed. Nobody read it. It was passed. And so all of this, this spying, you know, on, on people has all come about. I mean, under the USA Patriot Act, they can come into my house, copy my hard drive, leave, and without ever telling me they were there. So uh, this right to petition for redress, to me, it's key. It's, it's at the base of everything I believe. You know, uh, everything we do. These Constitution monitors, they're going to be trained to detect potential violations. They'll know where to, you know, get the fact. They'll know what law to look at. Uh, and they'll prepare a petition for redress. They'll submit the petition for redress to the city council, to the, to the village board, to the county board, to the town board, to the state legislature. And, um, and if they don't get an answer or if they... If, if they don't get a responsive response, then they'll submit that, you know, to the Citizen Vigilance Center, which we will build near Albany. And there'll be a team of, of people in there with staff, paralegals and whatnot. <clears throat> It'll be the headquarters of, of We the People of New York. But in there will be the, the people with legal lawyer skills, uh, familiar with the law, and they'll investigate and they'll recommend a course of action either civic action or legal action by the supporting member, the supporting membership. You know, you get 3% of the population paying $25 a year. You've got the resources. You've got the money, the power, the resources, you know, to get the job done. And so, uh, but it's all in defense. You know, it's all, uh, we're using the First Amendment. The last 10 words of the First Amendment as both a shield and a sword. So, I mean, that's what we're trying to do here. And, and if anybody wants, uh, uh, we, we've already did this not too long ago with the group in Nebraska that uh, they said, we'd like to know more about what you're doing in New York. We scheduled a webinar. Uh, we sent them, we sent them the link to to register for a seat at the webinar. They got it around to people they knew, and uh, we went through this whole thing on a webinar for the for a bunch of people in Nebraska. Hopefully that they will then, you know, utilize the articles of incorporation, get the thing, take the first step, and start building, start organizing the people in, in Nebraska. To, to challenge, not just local and state government, but, but collectively, you know, we can challenge a lot that's happening at the federal level as well once we get, you know, the numbers. And so you're on the call, anybody in the Carolinas or Illinois that would like a webinar where we could talk about these things for, you know, for a couple of hours, and uh, get folks started in their state, then I don't know how to say no. 
So just ask. Hey, Bob, uh, just a real quick question, uh, and I don't want to change the subject to the to the Bundy situation in Oregon, but uh, uh, conversations about the use of force, whether it be a, a force of will of the collective people um, researching something, responding to something, addressing something, the whole act of petitioning, uh, for example, back in the revolutionary days, brought us to the brink because of the England's failure to respond of the Revolutionary War, which which then led to the use of force on on their side and our response on our side, et cetera. Whoever shot uh, fired the first shot. Uh, the failure to respond, government to respond. Could you address this? Yeah, I uh, think I, I think without, and I have not. Yeah. Uh, Analyzed. I haven't studied. I haven't investigated. I, I haven't really looked into <clears throat> the facts surrounding what's going on out there. But mm-hmm. but here's what I would say. And I said the same thing to the people who were claiming that they had all this evidence that 9/11 was, you know, the towers was an inside job, right? Mm-hmm. You say to these people, look, and this is my message to the folks out there. Uh, the intelligent, rational, professional, humble, respectful, constitutional thing to do is prepare a document, list your facts, uh, you know, the facts that you can support with whatever documentary evidence you have. Uh List those facts. And then, based on those facts, uh, state the remedy that you're seeking. What's the remedy? What's the redress? That's the word, remedy means redress. So what's the redress you're seeking? So, and then say in there, you know, say it's going to go to, I don't know, the Federal uh, Bureau of Land Management. I don't know, whoever you're going to give it to. You say to them, you're petitioning them for a redress of a grievance. And I don't know what the grievance is. Maybe they're, they're trying to remove the horses and cattle off that belong to some private people off land that, these private people have been using for a long time. I mean, I don't know what the issue is, but but so you state your facts and the remedy that you're seeking, and and the document says, uh, in effect, hey, uh, because nobody's entitled to their version of their facts. Nobody anywhere is entitled to their version of the facts. They're entitled to their legal argument, but they're not entitled to their version of the facts. And nobody, of course, is entitled to wrong facts. And so you say in this thing, refute, please, humbly, respectfully, you say, please refute these facts or for your own. 
or comply with the remedial instructions. In other words, don't ignore this document. You know, we'll give you the benefit of the doubt. You didn't understand, you know, my rights. You didn't understand the rule of law, whatever it is, okay? My right to property, whatever it is. So we'll give you the benefit of the doubt. So here are the facts, and here's the remedy that we're seeking. And so give them 40 days, as they did in the Magna Carta. They gave the king 40 days. Well, the king said, he signed this document, he said, if we don't respond in 40 days, then you, the people, have the right to take everything we own, our land, our castles, our possessions. That's what it says. That's what it said in the Magna Carta. You have the right to mm -hmm. take everything except my life, the life of the queen, and the life of our children, and the life of the chief justice. That's it's all perfect. yours. If we don't that's respond perfect. in 40 days, it's all yours. Okay, that's what he says. And that's the cradle of liberty in the Western Hemisphere, for God's sake. So, so that's the document that they need to prepare. And they need to get the word out. And so all of the people who are watching this standoff around the country, the media, everybody, what can they do except, hey, they have submitted this document. It's called a Petition for Redress of Grievances. Mm -hmm. And so now everybody waits for the government. And if the government ignores it, then the people are justified. That's tyranny. If you point out, you know, to the government that they're violating, you know, their your rights and their law and the law, and then they ignore your First Amendment petition for redress, they ignore the law, then they ignore you. Whoa, wait a minute, that's not a government I rec that we recognize. That's not the government we put in place. Just read the Declaration of Independence. We institute government to secure our rights. Wow. Get right back to the root. Get right back to the basics. And so now everybody is waiting for the government to respond. Great. <clears throat> now they say whatever they're going to say. You know, and, and then you go from there. They're not entitled to their version of the facts either. All right? And, but at least you, you, at least you got a response from them, and they're responding to your petition, and you take a look at what they say, and then you go from there. I mean, you know, if I don't know, are they right? Are they wrong? You know, whatever. But you got to take that first step before you engage. To me, you take that first step before you engage in civic action, which is what they've engaged in out there. And I don't know. Maybe they have taken the first step. Maybe they have petitioned for redress. I don't know. Mm -hmm. If they haven't, they should. They ought to. What is their grievance? What are they saying the government is doing that's wrong? And then what remedy do they want? Where's the, where's the petition for redress? Where's the document? Good, good, good point. Uh, anybody else, a, a comment for, or question for Bob Schultz? Just a star six, your phone. I think Dave Wallen was on the call earlier, guys. Is Dave, Dave, you still on there? We, we, you know, we have the ultimate power. We just have to learn how to use it.
you know, you get these guys that fly off the handle and they set us back. Take that first step. Yeah. Get, get the sympathy of the, of, the, of the public. Get them to understand. Hey, hey, Fred. Sense. You yep. know, this petition for redress, this makes sense. All right, government, what's your answer to that? Hey, Bob, Dave, you want to chime in there? I, I, I need you around no. the call. Hey, this is Jim. Oh, Jim. Oh, Jim, you want to go ahead? Thank you, Tom. Yeah, sure. Sure. Bob, how are you? Not bad for an older guy. (laughs) Well, you haven't given up. Um, Well, I I understand because I took part in the the redress back in 02. But um, in in the cases that we're running into, we're dealing with administrative agencies. And they're not technically at least according to the Constitution, they're not even a part of our government. There, there was no authority given to them. So how do you attack a redress of grievance on something that shouldn't even exist? Well, these administrative agencies, uh, uh, they're authorized. Um, they have delegated you know, powers and so forth, but um, but they're... But you you petition. Uh, it depends on what the issue is. You know, uh, it depends on who's violating the law. Who who is infringing on your rights? Uh, you know, is it the United States of America? Is it uh, the Bureau of Land Management? You know, it's whoever, uh, it seems to me, it's whoever, uh, who, who's who's the face of the violation? And, and, uh, and of course, uh, you, you can, those folks out there can petition the Bureau of Land Management and, <coughs> and, um, or they can, petition the president. You know? Well, Bob. The head of the executive branch. If the Bureau of Land Management is in the executive branch, then then petition them, but petition the president at the same time. Uh, it all depends on what the issue is, I, I would think. But, but uh, I, I just think we got to learn how to... we got to beat them at their own game. Betty, you want to make a comment? Betty? Yeah, the uh, see, the federal government went in and took their uh, this land, uh, ranchers' land by eminent domain, and of course there there's certain roads and everything in there that uh, apparently there's some other area that they didn't take uh, with eminent domain. But the way that the federal government has it set up, they're totally cut off for being able to do any ranching. They're, they were they raised beef, and so they're basically they 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 want their land back. They didn't uh, the eminent domain thing, and I'm wondering if that's all connected with Agenda 21 myself, because that's you know does a lot about taken land by eminent domain. Oh you can you can there's eminent domain. Uh there are laws. 
the Supreme Court, of course, in 2005, overreached when they, I know this is a little off topic, but in, in uh, Connecticut, they overreached when they ruled that the, the town, New London or whatever town it was, could uh, take private land and give it to private party. You know, uh, I guess it was Pfizer that wanted to build a research, some pharmaceutical company wanted to build a research complex in Connecticut, and there were these homeowners that didn't want to sell. And so the government, you know, said, well, we could get more taxes from Pfizer than we get from you guys, and so we're going to condemn you. And it went to the Supreme Court, and in a 5-4 decision, a terrible, terrible, terrible decision, uh, they ruled that it was okay. This was the first time. You know, you could take private land and give it to a private. It's not for a public purpose. They said, well, you know, taxes are for a public. Give me a break, will you? I mean, that's, they overreached. So, but eminent domain, there are, you know, there are rules that, and, and constitutional rules that govern eminent domain. And so I don't know what they did out there, uh, whether they violated, uh, you know, what was the public purpose of taking that land? What public purpose was served? Was there a public purpose? I don't know. And was it, did it comply with the law? I don't know. Did the law comply with the Constitution? I don't know. But all these facts, you know, it's, it's all they have to do is list the facts. I don't read about it in the media. I don't even know that the media has. You know, other than people standing up and mouthing off, that's not the same. In my view, if it's not in writing, it doesn't exist. So they have to put it in writing. What are their facts? What's their beef? No pun intended. What, what's their complaint? And what are the facts? And what are they seeking? Put it down. Write it up. How, how, how hard is that? And then make sure everybody knows. And so that when you take civic action like they're taking out there now, you know, it's just people will say, well, they're justified. The government blew them off. The government ignored them. They didn't respond. Or they responded with repeated injury, <laughs> to use the words of the Declaration of Independence. Really, all of these, uh, oh, gosh. Right, but we need a sequel to uh, America, Freedom to Fascism. We need a sequel. We need uh, a sequel that, that uh, you know, whatever happened, you know, that, that video opened up with our, with our march down to, uh, to the courthouse to file the complaint. Uh, there's a heck of a story that has unfolded since the day that movie was made, that video. That story that has unfolded since then needs to be told. Hey, Bob, that would be a great... Uh, and that story needs to be told because nobody knows... What happened before freedom to fascism? Nobody knows all of the time and effort that, that went in 
uh, into all of those petitional uh, services. I mean, I mean, just tons and tons of work all over the country uh, went into that, and uh, it was never, never, ever addressed. And um, you have witnesses all over the country, like myself and many others, who, who can who can testify that they were there, that they they witnessed that. Yeah, I had a, uh, I had, a, I know an attorney who worked for the uh, Department of Justice in the appellate unit there, and I won't give his name, but, um, but he said, you, you know, it, when the movie opened up, it was we were marching down to sir to to file uh, the complaint uh, at the federal courthouse. There's a story that, you know, what happened after that? This is the story that needs to be told. And there are very significant uh, aspects, elements of, 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 the, of that story, that, that follow-up story. Not the least of which is, to use this attorney's words, that judge broke the law. In deciding what he, in deciding the way he decided, they he broke the law. A judge broke the law. Um, so it's a story that just needs to be told. And uh, and and all the evidence is there. All to, to make the story, all of the the videos, the the uh, written documents. The, uh, I mean, it's all there that, that a documentary can be pieced together. And, and it's all about the effort that has gone into uh, in support of and in, in, in defense of the last ten words of the First Amendment. The people petitioning for redress of grievances and government and what, <laughs> not the least of which is, I mean, how government has responded. I mean, it's a heck of a story. It just needs to be told. How... The length the government has gone to avoid having to respond to proper petitions for redress of grievances, it's a heck of a story. Nobody will believe it. Yep. Every year, I couldn't believe it when I showed him. He said, they can't do that. And he slammed this, thing, this book shut, this document shut that I was showing him. And it was all fact. It's what, it's what the Congress did and, and then what the executive branch did, and then what the judicial branch did, how they colluded. And Bob, a, Bob, be, yeah. The, uh, that would be great if we could get a video of, of uh, that and then add to it all the all of the uh, uh, things that we've, all of our rights that we've lost uh, even since then. Yeah. Through Because of the Patriot Act, Patriot Act and so forth. That would be great. I think that would go fast. It would spread fast because we got so much more now. We've got Facebook, Twitter, we got all these things to work with yep. that we didn't have back then. Yeah. Yeah, we got to do it. Yeah, there there's, you know, there's a lot of there's an undercurrent in the country that people like Trump and others are tapping into. But there's an undercurrent there. It's not, uh, not a, the situation just basically isn't good. 
people are really upset. <laughs> yeah. They're waking up a little bit. Yeah, but they don't. It's true. There's, a, Need leaders. there's an anger there, but there's a proper way to go about this. Man, wouldn't it be fantastic to have a peaceful, just a strong peaceful revolution uh, where the ultimate power, you know, there's a major shift of power from the government back to the people where it was meant to reside in the first place. That's my dream. That's my vision. Tremendous shift of power. Back to the people where it was meant to reside in the first place. They've arrogated so much power unto themselves. And, you know, the people are just, the people generally are just sucked into relying, putting relying entirely on the electoral process. I mean, where the heck has that gotten us <laughs> over the years? Uh, yeah. Oh, I don't mean to get... We just have to have fun proving a point. I mean, we can't get down, you know, we can't get yeah. so upset over it. But, man... So I don't know. Uh, what do we do? What do we do? What do we get? Up, what do we get up out of our chairs and do, guys? <laughs> get a well, video Bob, made. yeah, this this uh, thing that you're doing in New York is so critical as a next step uh, from an organizational standpoint. But uh, yes, somehow that that story behind the story that can uh, help illuminate uh, the, the prior and post-freedom to fascism movie. Well, why don't we uh, uh, start activity. a fundraiser? Let's, yeah. let's, uh, what do you call it, uh, Fred? You know, you a crowd, crowdfunding or something like that yeah. to get a sequel. Yeah. You know, to get, to get the sequel, to get the documentary done. It's an eye-opener. This is a story yeah. that can't die with me. Yeah. James Yeager, you, you're familiar with James Yeager. He's been on this call several times. He, he has uh, been connecting uh, so many of these people in the movement, Bob, for years, uh, from Ron Paul to uh, just on and on. You know, he, he's interviewed Edwin Vieira several times, uh, but the, you know he's got five or six different movies under his belt, and I, I keep telling him about the need to address this We the People backstory. And um uh he you and him have talked I know and and uh and you know maybe there's a shot that he could raise some money to get that to get that done and work with you. But uh that's the guy I would recommend. Okay, well I don't know, I've lost track how to how to can you get us together? Yeah, I, I'll definitely I'll, I'll pick up the phone tomorrow and, and, and call him. Uh, he's, he's finishing up on this latest project, this latest movie, and uh, he's always got something in the works. But uh, with all of the the tape and video and stuff that he's already uh, got, uh-huh. uh, he, and, and he knows Aaron Russo. He's interviewed Aaron Russo many years ago, so he, he knows all the players, all the parties. And uh, all it would take is you sitting down with him and walking him through this really compelling story that you've got the evidence, you've got the facts, the document. Yep. The story, you know, there's a lot of 
it's an onion there with a lot of layers uh, to be sure. peeled. And and uh, just how far the government is willing to go, or will go, or has gone, you know, to uh, oppress or to suppress this uh, this right to petition, uh, right to hold them accountable, the, the First Amendment. <laughs> I mean, they basically took it away. I mean, mm-hmm. the collusion that I'm talking about is uh, yeah. Is, is they basically taken away the First Amendment, you know? So, okay, guys, well. Uh, it's wrap-up time, guys. Top of the hour is getting around the corner here, Pop. Thank you so much. Happy New Year, everyone. Thank you, Judy, behind the scenes. And uh, uh, stay well, everybody. Just stay, stay well, well and, and yeah. stay vigilant. <laughs> yeah, and I hope, and I hope you come on before six months goes by, Bob, okay? We'll stay in touch. All right, we'll do. Thanks so much, Bob. Happy New Year. Thank you, yes, everyone. Thanks. See you Stay on the well, next week, everyone. Take care. God bless. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, Steve. Bye-bye. A-U-N, American Underground Network. Well, who was that? This is Jim. Hi, Betty. Well, Hi, it Betty. Would be great, it would be great if we could get a DVD in our hands and work with it. Because what Bob has, you know, with this trying to get each state. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry. 
sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.